in the great hall of the Justice League, there are assembled the world's four greatest heroes, created from the cosmic legends of the universe. Superman. Wonder Woman. Batman. Aquaman. And those three junior super friends, Wendy, Marvin, and Wonder Dog. Their mission, to fight injustice, to right that which is wrong, and to serve all mankind. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of For All Mankind, a Super Friends podcast. For All Mankind is a read-through show covering DC Comics' classic Super Friends series, which ran for 47 issues from 1976 to 1981. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Rob Kelly. And joining me once again for this episode is my super friend, Chris Franklin. Chris, welcome back. Hey, Rob. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, no problem. We're in part two of this huge JLA-like story featuring the debut of the Wonder Twins plus the Justice League members plus what will become the Global Guardians. So this is the biggest story ENB has tackled to this point in uh, in, in this uh, series. It's Super Friends number eight. This story is called The Mind. Mind Killers. It is, of course, also drawn by Ramona Fraden and Bob Smith. This comic book was on sale August 16th, 1977. A young Rob Kelly turned six years old. It was a big moment for me. I had this comic in the mountain. So this is a mountain comic. I remember having it in the cabin when I turned six. Oh, that's awesome. Cool. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a very exciting. On the cover, we've got Red Tornado in the grips of a Tyrannosaurus Rex and all of the super friends leaning in saying, Break loose, Red Tornado. You must beat that menace in the past or the Earth will have no future. Uh, it's a fun design because Ramona Fraden doesn't try to find a way to have the heroes uh, kind of in the scene. It's just she just drew the stripe on the right side of the cover and they're just it's it's just kind of a design piece what do you think of it as a, as a cover oh i think it's i think it's really cool i i do think though that uh and this is no offense to huge red tornado fans i know you wrote an article for back issue about him rob <laughs> but i think the fact that i think the dinosaur is the star of this cover i think <laughs> he's got long I arms think, he's got he's got human human length arms yeah i yeah we'll get to that later about this dinosaur but i i think that um i, I think that you know uh Ramon or, or, or Denny O'Neill was, I guess, the editor of Super Friends at the time, yeah. which is kind of weird to think yeah, of. Yeah, it's a weird but, choice. Yeah, it is a weird choice. But but uh, they were like, hey, you know what sells comics? You know what kids like? Dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. So so they're like, you know, it, it. that's why Green Lantern's not on the cover and some of the other heroes in here. It's because Red Tornado happens to fight a dinosaur inside. Uh but, uh, yeah, I love the device of, of having them off because we, they are, you know, watching what the other heroes are doing on the monitor screens and things like that. So it, it, it kind of makes sense in story, too, even though all these characters weren't around watching it. But, yeah, it's a – and it kind of harkens to those JLA, JSA covers where the, you know, the, the heads of the characters are around the mm-hmm. order of the in, in the action. And a lot of times like uh, the Crisis on Earth Prime in a few years where they're all looking at what's going on in the panel. You know, they're all looking up in horrors per Dagaton standing there. <laughs> you know, or they got atomic bombs going off, or whatever. You know that that it's kind of that same thing, but it's just a little more. It's it's a little more grounded in some kind of reality here. It's like like watching some monitor as Retro fighting a dinosaur in the past. So it's it's pretty cool. And I 
I love the swirls of the mist or time surrounding them. Like that's just a nice detail too. Yeah, it's very exciting. It's yeah. really I really like the colors on it too. It really pops. Yeah, it's a really, really good cover. So like I said, this story is called The Mind Killers. It is part two of the continued story. So it picks up with Superman, Flash, and Elongated Man return to the JLA satellite, having found and dismantled Grax's bombs. But Wendy Marvin and Zan and Jaina are busy following some of the other heroes to see how they're faring on their mission. In Japan, the Atom has teamed with the superhero Rising Sun. Using their combined powers, they find the bomb inside a large glass box and defuse it. In Ireland, Green Lantern and Jack-O-Lantern spy a giant emerald in the countryside. Guarding it are blue-skinned lizard-type creatures, which Green Lantern chains up using his power ring long enough for Jack-O-Lantern to hotwire the bomb. In New Zealand, Red Tornado and Tuatara, who has three eyes... Uh, one of which can see through time team up. Using that ability, he sees that Grax has built the bomb in the past and set it to appear in the current day one second before it explodes. This requires Red Tornado to use his powers to travel through time, something he has never tried before. Red Tornado fights off a dinosaur while Tuatara takes care of the bomb, and then they return home. In Venezuela, Batman Robin and the Bushmaster find their bomb underwater and secure it. In Taiwan, Black Canary and Thunderlord use their similar powers of sonic cries to pierce the cube of silence that contains their bomb. After almost passing out from the exertion, they succeed. Back at the satellite, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, and Green Arrow take off to find the last three bombs, which will destroy all human life. All right, Chris. So, what do you think about part two of this exciting tale? Well, I, you know, it's 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 more of the same. It's got again, it's got more of that uh, uh, classic JLA JSA flavor. But now you got these, you know, international heroes and and I, again, I think uh, I think EMB and Ramona Fraden have uh, you know they've I, 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 they've created a a group here that I mean, honestly, why in the world was there never a Global Guardians comic to themselves? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, really, I mean, I seriously, I'm not I. I I, you know, I know that they just kind of existed on the periphery after this in the DCU, especially after EMB brought them into DC Comics Presents and said, nope, they exist, uh, you know, basically. <laughs> but uh, I, I think these guys got a lot of, uh, you know, overall got a lot of potential, so it's exciting to see them introduced here. In the credits, there is uh, someone named Nick Nick Pascal who gets special help from designing the costumes. I don't, mm-hmm. I'm not familiar with who that is. I don't know if he was friends with Ramona Freighton or he was like a fan that got involved or something. But character-wise, uh, there is some really cool stuff here. We talked about in the previous episode how I thought that the Seraph was the one that really sort of came across the, the best of the four. But I'd say uh, their batting average here is really good. I like Rising Sun. I think he looks really cool. He's got this all white. I mean, his costume is reminiscent of the flag of Japan. It's an all white kind of uh, sort of bodysuit in a way with this red, just the red sun on his chest. So he looks really cool. Jack-o'-lantern is actually really cool. I kind of like him in his little Jack-o'-lantern purse thing that he carries around. Uh, I think yeah. he looks really cool. Tuatara is maybe the one that's a little on the goofy side with that weird little ridge thing that he's got on his head. But the third eye that can see through time is pretty cool. And Bush Bushmaster, I actually really like Bushman. He reminds me a lot of Copperhead, the the DC villain Copperhead. The only goofy part about Bushmaster is when his feet stick out to become like like uh, he has like flipper feet, so he can run across the water. I know it's probably very helpful, but he just looks kind of goofy. But otherwise, like these are, I think they're again, these are like I think pretty good characters. Yeah, yeah, it's it definitely the Bushmaster. I can see. I can still see a Bushmaster action figure with like snap on like feet and wings and <laughs> light up eyes because of what we see in this one. Yeah, he did, there's definitely some potential 
potential there. And, you know, Thunderlord, this looks like a player because he's got, you know, he's got the exposed chest and the medallion on. I mean, he definitely looks like a, he looks like a, a man of the 70s, you know, so. <laughs> I, I was saving Thunderlord for last because there's a detail about him that Ramona Frayden adds in what I really like. I'm going to mention that at the end of this episode because it's really okay, fun. But okay. Yeah, but otherwise, yeah, I like all these team-ups. I mean, Adam gets to use his powers. In fact, of course, he just appeared uh, not that long ago in the Super Friends, but here he's here he's back. And, uh, and uh, again, I like Jack-O-Lantern. Jack-O-Lantern's costume is a little like in some panels Ramona Fraden draws Jack-O-Lantern's head like it's a perfect sphere uh which doesn't of course make any sense physically <laughs> you know because uh, I mean his helmet would have to be huge like black manas or something but uh, and then other panels he's kind of seems like he's got more of a mask but I like that he just has those those eyes like he just his eyes like that's really cool uh Red Tornado goes back in time for Pete's sakes which is something he's never been able to do and there's even a comment where he says maybe the construct improved me when he put me back together which of course gets E&B gives E&B the chance to, to mention that Red Tornado and the construct faced off in Justice League number 146 which as you talked about in the previous episode is E&B like hey this is all one big universe everybody these, these are all the same characters right yeah of course of course that's it of course it's happening it's happening on Earth One, people. Uh, yeah, I, the whole thing where you know Superman taught me how to go back in time. It's like I love how time travel was so easy in the DC <laughs> universe. It kind of makes you. I really kind of hated the the post crisis role of you can only go through time one way one time, and it's like that. I hated that role. I thought it was stupid, but this is why. This is why they did that because of things like this, and because on the Super Friends cartoon, the Bat Jet can just travel through yeah. time. You know, <laughs> they went so, back in time. Batman and Robin are like, hey, let's just go back in time. Whoosh! Like, wow, that was that was easy. Okay. <laughs> you know, this does remind me, though, Rob. Of course, it's Super Friends. It's back in time. It reminds me of Aquaman's greatest moment on the oh, Super Friends. Yes. You, yeah, you know what I'm talking about, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Where, yeah, Aquaman, who is he with? I guess, is it Apache, Apache Chief? Chief? Apache Chief, yeah. yeah. They get thrown back in time, and they are like, oh, my God, we're lost. How are we ever going to get back in time? And Aquaman figures out where the Hall of Justice would have been back in time, which, of course, you know, doesn't account for the fact that the world changes and, like, you know, their, their mountain ranges move and, like, a little and everything. Yeah, yeah. right. And uh, <laughs> he figures out where the Hall of Justice might be. So then what does he do, Chris? He buries his atomic-powered Justice League communicator, <laughs> which has, a like, a half-life of a thousand – of a million years or something. <laughs> and he buries it in the side of the Hall of Justice and sets it off and then – because he does that in the present in 1978, <laughs> Superman hears it going off, <laughs> busts through the ground, picks it up, like it's Aquaman's JLA communicator, you know, and and so Superman like uses it, busts through the time barrier, and goes and finds Apache Chief and Aquaman. It, I don't give a damn if it's it's comic book science. It's the coolest freaking thing Aquaman ever did on the Super Friends, and I, I, it's just it's just awesome that they gave Aquaman that moment because it's really it's it, it's kid comic science, but it's damn cool kid. Comic <laughs> I, I hope that when the writers came up with that, they just went home for the day. They're like, all right, we're good. They're not going to come up with anything better than that. You know, yeah. The, I love the, the detail that all the super friends are carrying basically plutonium or something, some sort of <laughs> nuclear thing on their belts uh, in permanent. Like, I, what does that do to your ability to reproduce or anything? I don't know. I <laughs> made this left for another Unlicensed reason. nuclear accelerators in their belt Strapped on their back. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, I mean, yeah, this story, uh, you can't help but be a little repetitive because it's basically all the same stuff happens that happened in the first issue. It's just as a hero teams up with a global guardian. They find the bomb. 
they use teamwork, they dismantle the bomb, and then they move on to the next thing. So, I mean, again, you have to remember, this comic was meant for small kids, so you don't really pay attention to that exactly. It's only when you're sort of, you know, sitting here as a, a, a quote-unquote adult writing these synopses. That you're like, yeah, this is basically the same thing over and over and over again. But it gives you a chance, again, to meet these new villains. Um, I mean, Jack O'Lantern, <laughs> you talked about Godiva's uh, patois in the in the previous issue, Jack O'Lantern is like Faith and Begona. Like he is like the Lucky Charms. Yeah, he mascot. is. Uh, you know, he's like, down, live Legacy Chaplin. He's just like, you know, he's like, okay, all right, let's calm down a little bit, Jack O'Lantern. But nevertheless, I think he's pretty cool. I mean, again, I like I like most of these characters. Um, when I was reading this comic, I pro I, I can't remember cause it was a long time ago, but I think that when Batman and Robin and Salamander, uh, or Bushmaster, Salamander, Bushmaster go to the yeah. water. I was like, why is an Aquaman in on this one? This is the water thing. Of course, Aquaman would get his moment in the next issue, but nevertheless, I was like, Aquaman and Bushmaster seems like a natural team up. Yeah, that would have made more sense. Plus, Batman and Robin jump into the ocean and don't put their little rebreathers on, if nope. nothing else. Nope. It's like, just so Robin can make that joke about, it was hard for me to hold my breath so long, and worse, because I couldn't speak. For me, it's hard to fight without making bad puns, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the only reason that, that EMB didn't have them, like, put, take their little little capsule rebreather things and put them in their mouth before they jumped in, because, you know, that's not very Batman and Robin-like to come become especially on the super friends to come unprepared for something, you know, yep. they're, they make Adam West look like his utility belts empty, you know, basically. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, you know, there, there's some beats in here. I, I really like the fact that, you know, we've, we've always bought that Adam can ride on telephone, telephone transmission somehow. So him riding on photons that, uh, that, uh, uh, that are generated by Sun Lord. That's his name, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, Rising Sun. Sorry, Rising, Rising Sun. Sun. Rising Sorry, Sun. Rising Sun. Don't, wrong, wrong, wrong character. Uh, Rising Sun. Yeah, you know that makes perfect sense. You know that that mm-hmm. he can. I mean, comic book sense that he can do that, and I think that's cool. And and Jack O' Lantern. Um, the, I liked him. He gets backup features in Super Friends later uh, as oh, well. That's right, he does. I forgot about that. Wow. Okay. Yeah, because I remember there's like leprechauns in his stories and everything else. <laughs> So it's, it's really kind of like, wow, okay. Uh, but uh, I like him, and I think his design's cool. But since I'm a big Halloween guy, his name is Jack-O-Lantern. There's not a stitch of orange on him. You know, it's like, why isn't he like, doesn't he kind of look pumpkin-esque? At least keep the color scheme, you know, or something. I don't I don't know. It just, I guess they didn't want it to be like too Halloween-y, like he's only good one month of the year or something, you know. I, I don't know. But, uh, uh, and, and it's it's uh, interesting, Ramona Frayden, um she draws Green Lantern here, of course, and she actually drew GL in the very first Batman team up in Brave the Bold number fifty nine from April May nineteen sixty five. So wow. she she was the the first artist of a Batman team up in Brave the Bold, and it was with Green Lantern. So wow, nice nice find, Chris. Jeez, yeah, yeah, I've got that in the. I think it's in the. I know it's in the showcase. I might, I don't think it's in the omnibus. I think it's in the showcase. So uh, yeah, it's it's a in in he looks. He, she draws him pretty much the same way here. So, yeah, I'm with you. Tura Tara, um, yeah, his design, I think his design would work better if he didn't have the the weird lizard face on his chest. He, Dude, you don't need that. When your head looks that way, you you you're got your branding down, you know? You don't. And he's got that chicken thing on his head. He's got that, I don't know what that is, that weird little 
wavy thing, but the thing on his head just to me makes him look a little silly. Uh, the, the real lizard, the real reptile, has that. I look, right. I looked, I looked it up because I'm like, you know, I don't know if I've ever looked up what a Turatara looks like, and their their third eye doesn't really look like an eye eye. It doesn't look like. Uh, the the other two eyes. I right. mean, you can you know when they point it out, you can tell it's an eye. But uh, and I think if I remember right, I'm thinking I'm thinking of the uh, the loose leaf who's who entry. It shows him without his mask, and he's some blonde guy that's literally got a third eye in the middle of his head mm. when he takes his mask off. So that's kind of weird, you know. <laughs> but uh, but uh, that dinosaur, I, I I think it's uh, it's I think it's kind of interesting. And I don't know if this was this was E and B or. Or, uh, you know, Tuatara sees the dinosaurs. He says, what are those? And, and Red Tornado says, I'm not familiar with the species, but these are they are some variety of dinosaur. I'll try to hold them off. I wonder if that was EMB basically like, well, Ramona didn't draw them to really look like an actual dinosaur. She just kind of like hit the beats of, hey, it looks like a dinosaur. So because, you know, EMB was such a stickler for facts and you know they they do have big large arms so they're not you know T-Rex in a way and they've got like extra spines and and ridges on their back and things like that so i wonder if that was him basically saying yeah this is not quite a T-Rex so i'm just going to say it's an unidentified species or something kind of a marvel style way of doing comics you know like re- yeah. rewriting the dialogue to fit the artwork that you've been handed yeah maybe that didn't happen but it just it seems like something E and B would do so yeah ab- absolutely so yeah i like so there's bushmaster i like him but now again i was saving this my favorite of all these characters is Thunderlord, the one who teams up with the Black Canary in Taiwan. Not only does he have a boss outfit, he's got this awesome robe that is, uh, that is, he looks like, um, Yul Brenner. Yul Brenner. Uh, Why couldn't I remember that? He looks the like King Yul, the Yul Brenner from the King and I. I mean, if they had ever made Thunder, if they had ever done a Thunderlord in live action, it would have to have been Yul Brenner. So he's got it down to his, down to his waist. He's got this um, awesome thunder uh, lightning kind of uh, thing that's just dangling from his belt. And he's got the same powers as Black Canary. And they have like kind of the sonic scream thing. And then I love it that when they dismantle the bomb, they, they, they break it out of the little cone of silence that it's in. Black Canary feels a little faint. There's this one panel where he's got his hands on Black Canary. And he's looking at her kind of smiling. And I was like... I think he's a little handsy here. I don't. That feel, I mean, I may be reading into it, but I feel like Thunderlord is trying to make a play for Black Canary here. No, that look on his face. Yeah. And honestly, yeah. honestly, the look she's giving him back says, "Hey, you know, why not? <laughs> you know, I mean, hey, you know, screw you, Ollie. You when know, in Taiwan? You jerk. <laughs> when in Taiwan, you jerk. You know, this guy. I think she'd been better off sticking with Thunderlord, and I'm sure our buddy uh, Ryan would agree. You know, yeah. uh, I really. So. <laughs> I think it's a, he's a really cool guy. I love his design. It's very sad. He's got like a sort of a – it's not a pendant, but he's got like a lightning bolt around his neck kind of that dangles. I think it's a really sharp-looking character. He's probably my favorite of all these designs. And again, that, that panel just makes me laugh So because you're right. It is – the way Ramona Frame draws that smile, he really does have a like <laughs> – kind of look on his face. Hey, baby, you know, that type of, yeah, she, he definitely does. And she, like, she's looking back, and, of course, she references it. Oh, you know, I was just in the 30th century. It took a lot out of me. Of course, that's another Justice League reference because it's the J, JLA, JSA Legion team up that they just came out of uh, in uh, Justice League 147 and 148. Right, so, right. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, she's, like, kind of leaning back into him a little bit and got her, she's got her hand up on her, like, kind of running it through her hair up on her on her head and she's kind of giving him that woo you know 
catch me, big fella, you know. <laughs> and, you know, they both seem to be into it, so it's perfectly okay, you All know. Right. Now, if, he, if he was getting palsy with her and she didn't like it, it'd be a whole other matter. But, you know, they're consenting adults, so. I hope Wendy and Marvin are not seeing that part in their trouble alert. Uh, because I'm sure, when, I'm sure Marvin's paying very close attention to Black Canary's adventures. I, you know, I'm sure <laughs> And then we get Green Arrow in the very next panel, back in the JLA satellite, where they said they've re- re- located more bombs. And uh, Green Arrow says, and I have a hunch they'll be the deadliest yet. And that, then we see the three of them take the teleporter down to go deal with the bombs. But but yeah, so uh, it's, that's the wrap-up of the story. Now, it is sort of funny that they talk about the, the, these bombs, the next set of bombs, will destroy all human life. And like, well, why didn't he just make all the bombs do that? Like why? Yeah. Why, did, why, did, why did why did the second round of bombs need to be amnesia bombs? Like why, why not? If if your third round of bombs will just destroy all human life, just make them all like that. What, what, what's the point in the in the first two rounds of bombs? Yeah, I, I guess he just you know he was really had an axe to grind with Superman. He, he was really just going to make things super difficult for him, and he didn't. He didn't count on Superman having super friends, obviously, uh, and then the super friends having super friends that they just met. But, uh, yeah, definitely the the whole – and, of course, the mystery bombs this time. But I'm pretty sure the bomb that, that uh, made people forget the past and that made people so – uh, dumb, they couldn't even eat. I, I'm pretty sure those went off at some point in the last few years, but I could be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it all fits. It all hangs together. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, that's the end of part two of the story. So now we're heading into our first three-parter uh, for Super Friends, which is again very, very ambitious. But before we get to that, I do want to mention the letters page. Uh, there is a letter from – well, there are two letters of, of note in this uh, letters page. One is from Jerry Siegel, the Jerry Siegel, who Whoa. thanks who thanks uh, E&B for including Funny Man. Uh, he mentions – he says uh, – he talks about – he says uh, about fans not recognizing comedian Larry Davis. Here's something else which would stump most of them. Which key character in the Superman saga was named after me? And it's a, it's you know it's a nice little letter from – the, the, create, the co-creator of Superman. It's pretty amazing. And then the other letter is from Daryl McNeil. And Daryl McNeil was an animator on Super Friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he, he talks about working on the cartoon, the Super Friends Hour, and they talk about that. So that was really cool. I love that you've got little letters from, you know, comic book royalty and then somebody who was literally working on the cartoon while this comic was being produced. I remember, if I remember right, Daryl McNeil actually, like, actually steered some of the, the Super Friends creators on the show from doing things that all of us fans would still be beating our head against the wall. Like, they were going to make the Flash orange at one point yep, or something yep, yep. or something like that. He he was the comic fan that kept them true yep. uh, uh, a lot of times. So, yeah, so good on him. Yeah, he's he's got he's had a very... Uh, storied career and and he you know he's written articles for different magazines for back issue and different things like that over the years so he's still very engaged and and uh yeah he he just seems like a really cool guy i'd love to sit on a panel with him at a comic convention and and just listen to him talk for two hours or something (laughs) yeah it would be really cool he wrote he worked a lot with alex toth afterwards like he wrote he collaborated a lot with alex toth on his books and stuff and would write like annotations mm-hmm. and things like that about the stuff Alex Toth did. So yeah, it was really cool to to hear from him. Uh, I've spoken to him uh, online over the uh, here and there over different things, and he's a very very nice guy. So it was cool cool to hear uh, him here. So yeah, that is part two of this big big story. So we are going to move on into the for all merch kind segment because of course Chris is here. We have to talk about some Super Friends merchandise. So now. Last episode, we talked about the Super Friends coloring book, which is a very fine example of, of Super Friends merchandise. It's got all the characters. They're all on model. It's, it's really one of the better ones. This, 
this piece, which you'll be able to see in the gallery section on our website, finewaterpodcast.com, is maybe not quite as renowned. This is the Super Friends Magnetic Target Game. So, Chris, why don't you explain what a magnetic target game even is? Uh, well, I barely know, Rob. I, I, <laughs> I do know that it makes this sound. Uh, <laughs> that's good audio for you. Uh, this Super Friends Magnetic Target game came in na- out in 1980. It was made by NASTA. That uh, they made a lot of DC superhero merchandise, a lot of Super Friends branded merchandise. They made uh, a lot of sunglasses. They made a lot of little games like this, and and cards, and playing cards, and things like that. But this particular game is uh, it's on a it's on a card on a big, huge, like a you know a hanging card with a, a for a, to, to hang on a peg in a store, and uh, it has a. Uh, it's, it's basically made to where two, uh, two players, uh, one can sit on each side of the game board that's in, that's attached to this card. And I've never taken this one off the card, but, um, you've got these magnetic wands and you've got this image of the super friends on both sides, same image on both sides of this board. And you're supposed to take the balls from the side that are, they're supposed to be in the side. They're really floating around everywhere. And you're supposed to place, use the magnetic wands and try to place them in the little spots and the little, the little holes that are like covering the super friends. And they've got little numbers around them. So there's like a 40 and a 30 and a 20 and a 50. So, you know, you do that and then you add up who's got the highest score at the end. So not exactly the best game (laughs) ever conceived. But the thing is actually a pretty cool presentation piece because the actual board of the game has an image that's from that DC poster book that they advertise in the comics. That's the it's by Dick Giordano. It's got the five. This has the five main Super Friends pulled from that, uh, and they're running toward towards you. And I believe that was the one that had an introduction by Isaac Asimov. Uh, I if think I remember so, yeah. They advertise. I've never had that poster book, but I remember seeing it advertised. But that's uh, that's what we've got here. And on the back, you've got the same um, the same image again, which is kind of weird. I don't really know why they do that. But it actually, the only instructions you get, it says, use the magnetic wand to pick up the balls and try to drop them in place in the holes below. The person who scores the highest points wins the game. To replay, simply turn game over and collect balls in same holder. So, um there's one more thing about this that when I showed this to Rob, he was uh, he was fairly furious about. Uh-huh. What is that, Rob? <laughs> well, okay. Uh, I mean, yeah, you mentioned that the, the image on the game itself is that great Dick Giordano piece, which you've seen on a thousand pieces of merchandise of the five. The five. Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, and Robin. And it's a great image. But then you've got this on the top part. And again, would this, would this count as a rack toy? Is yeah, it, it's definitely Brian a Brian Hyler rack toy because it's it was meant to hang on a peg and be very. It takes cheap. up a lot of space, but yeah, it's a right. rack toy. Right. Yeah. So on top, it's a Super Friends magnetic target game, and on top there are headshots of our beloved Super Friends: Superman, Batman, Robin, and Wonder Woman. That's it. No Aquaman. And then to make matters even worse, at the bottom you've got the logos of the characters, and it's got and it's the logos from the comics: Superman, Wonder Woman, and Batman. Again, no Aquaman. There's room for Aquaman. There's room for him. There's right. You can put him right behind Robin's head. I, I, that just angers me so much. The Super Friends are the five. It is not four, and especially when there was room for Aquaman's head. That just, it makes me so bad. Why was he left off of the card? Like that just. Where was Daryl McNeil when you needed him? Yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> yeah, and and there's there's another thing Nasta did that I own that we'll get to eventually where poor Aquaman's not even included at all. So uh yeah, and I know that's gonna be fun for you, so I'm sorry. <laughs> but uh uh yeah, it it uh this this one uh the the headshots on here are kinda interesting because Batman and Robin are Carmen Infantino lifts from the sixties. Uh the the Robin's one where he's running, the Batman's where he's standing with his hands on his hips. The Wonder Woman looks Dick Giordano to me as well. I don't know where that's from. The Superman, I'm pretty sure, is by Kurt Swan and Vince Coletta, and I think that they lifted that from Parade Magazine. Wow. Had the cover story with an article by Mort Weisinger, I flew with Superman that I believe came out around the same time as Superman the movie. And Deep I cut. had I had that for years. My mom saved that for me, and I don't know whatever happened to it. It might be around here somewhere, but you can look online. Look up Superman Parade Magazine. It's really it's a really nice image of this almost uh, it's almost uh, this painted coloring style on it too. It's really sharp. But here it just looks like a normal comic. But that's definitely that Superman. Well, I'm pretty sure that's a Superman head. I shouldn't say definitely. I don't know that for sure, but I think that's what that is. So yeah, that, this is like a really cool kind of piece, like to have in your collection because it looks, except for Aquaman's head not being there, it looks cool. But as a game, it's I think it's pretty lame. But <laughs> but uh, but you know, it's it, it, Nasta. Like if you look, um, uh, th- there's a there's a website. There's a Super Friends Wiki. Uh, out there that we can put a link to as well that's got a lot of different Super Friends merchandise on, and they show a lot of different stuff that NASTA made, and they they like magnets a lot. NASTA like magnets. Uh, And almost every Super Friends thing they did that wasn't sunglasses or flashlights involved magnetic games. Uh, But uh, they even eventually did some superpower stuff. And interestingly enough, I think this one I got... In the early 90s at a children's palace that was going out of business. <laughs> and they, I guess, were just cleaning out the back room because I got this and an AHI Spider-Man stunt cycle from the 70s. Like oh, around I the remember that. Time. Yeah. Yeah, and I got those. And, and, and oddly enough, like about 10 years later at a uh, West Virginia – Huntington, West Virginia Toys R Us – Cindy found a pair of NASTA superpowers, Wonder Woman, um, sunglasses. So NASTA, NASTA merchandise tended to hang around for <laughs> for a while. I guess so. so. All right. Good for them. Good for them. I was curious in this magnetic target game why the logo is not the Super Friends logo, like the, the merchandisable one. Now, the font here looks like the same font when the show became the world's greatest superhero, Super Friends. Yeah, uh, it looks like the same fun. So I guess they just used that one. I guess they figured that was good enough. But I'm, I, I guess because the on the game itself they have such a tiny space for the word Super Friends, they didn't want to do the one with like the the the, the three dimensional logo from the from the comic book because it just would have taken up too much space. So I guess as a merchandiser, you want to ask. Uh, Warner Brothers uh, or Hanna-Barbera, whoever, hey, can you send me multiple pieces of stock art that we can use? And uh, they probably had different logos that you could slap in. And here they wanted to have something a little more compact to fit into the game board. Well, you know, as, as, you know since we've both done graphic design, you know, when you do uh, when you do an arched logo or arched text, it takes up a lot of room. It sure does. You know? So, uh, you know, that's probably why they didn't go with it. But, yeah, you're right. It does look quite a bit like the, the world's greatest super friends at this, which would have been on at this yep. point. You know, yep. Yep. that's yep. the logo they would have, were using on the show in 1980. So, uh, yeah, but it's it's a it's a fun piece. It survived all these years. And 
and uh, the little the tape that holds holds the wand is disintegrating. I've had to replace it and stuff like that. <laughs> but but other than that, you know, it's the fact that I still got it and it's on the card. It's it's kind of fun. It kind of takes up some nice real estate in my little my little super friends uh, dedicated little case I've got. So it's uh, yeah, except for Aquaman not being on the <laughs> card. It's uh, I like it. You know, maybe they should have left Robin off and put Aquaman on there. Yes, I don't know. yes. Yes, they should have. The, the problem with Aquaman, though, and this this could be part of it. I'm not defending these guys, but <laughs> when you just show a headshot of Aquaman, of course. He's, a, he's a blonde guy. He's just a blonde guy, right. That is the problem. At Superman's least. got the curl, yep. at least. Yep. You know, he's got the S curl that says, I mean, he's basically got his logo on his forehead. Yeah. Uh, unlike Ben Cooper, who actually gave Batman a logo on her forehead. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Aquaman could be Flash Gordon. Yeah, you right. Know? Yeah, that is the problem. That uh, That yeah. is absolutely the problem. And he doesn't have, like, a symbol the way. But, I mean, again, they still could have. Uh, never mind. I don't, I don't want to go down this road. Just show uh, his shoulders and show a few scales exactly. on his Exactly. Come yeah, on. Put the logo on there. At least, again, at least he's on the game board. At least they didn't go out of the way to edit him out. Of the Dick Giordano artwork, <laughs> that would have been the b- bigger insult. At least they left him on that piece by Dick Giordano, which, again, is very, very handsome. Well, and Dick was smart. I mean, he put the five main super friends in the middle of that. That's right. Big image. So, I mean, he knew that Aquaman, you know, he knew that Aquaman was important and that that kids seeing this at, like, Walden Books or wherever they're, you know, going to buy this thing, they're going to, you know, hone in on those five super friends they watch every Saturday, yep. you know? So, and I mean, you know, that's one reason because they did things like that and because of super friends, I can't arrange action figures that don't have those five characters together, basically. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to put Aquaman with Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, and usually Robin, too, unless I've slipped Robin down to a Teen Titans shelf or something. <laughs> uh, you know, so, I mean, it's just it's in, you know, just in my brain. So, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, very, very cool. So, Chris, uh, thank you once again for joining me here on For All Mankind. Would you like to stick around for part three of this story? Sure. That'd be great. Absolutely. All right, cool. Well, then, said I'm going to have actually two guests for the next episode of For All Mankind for this big conclusion to this huge, huge story. But in the meantime, Chris, why don't you tell people where they can find you here on our network? You can find me on JLUcast, where I talk about a later version of the Justice League in animation, that being the uh, DCAU Bruce Tim helmed Justice League that will eventually become Justice League Unlimited. Cindy and I, my wife, uh, talk about that there. And uh, we also do Supermates on occasion, and you and I do Superman Movie Minute and Power Records Podcast, and Ryan and I do ba- do Batman Nightcast. So all connected to Super Friends in one way or another. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely awesome. So great. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I want you to stay tuned. We're going to pay some uh, commercial messages. And when I come back, I'm going to do some listener feedback. Jeff and Rick present Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, where we journey through each issue of the most underrated Marvel series of the 80s while drinking beer, analyzing awesome and amazing adolescent adventures, and absorbing alcohol. We got kids with powers, we got villains with attitude. We got superhero guests, like all of them from the Marvel Universe. We have thematically appropriate beer reviews. We have good jokes and bad song parodies. One stop for all your Power Pack pod-pleasing procurements. And we got alliteration. Find Unpacking the Power of Power Pack wherever fine podcasts are played. Ladies and gentlemen, the late Yul Brynner. I really wanted to make a commercial when I discovered that I was that sick and my time was so limited. I wanted to make that commercial that says simply, now that I'm gone, I tell you, don't smoke. Whatever you do, just don't smoke. If I could take back that smoking... We wouldn't be talking about any cancer. I'm convinced of that. 
I'm Fruit Pie, the magician, the hostess pie technician. Fruit Pie. You what? Look out for the ghost. <laughs> oh, drat. I'll fix him with the hostess Fruit Pie. Ooh. Here's your reward. Big hostess fruit pies. Apple, berry, cherry. Full of fresh fruit flavor. Mm. You get a big delight in every bite of hostess fruit pies. And we're back with the portion of the show I call Super Friends, which is the feedback we got for the previous episode of For All Mankind, which was episode seven with, hey, again, Chris Franklin. Uh, but before we get to the comments left on the website, finewaterpodcast.com, I want to read an iTunes review. We have another new iTunes review. So exciting. Uh, we have a five-star review from Patrick McMullen. It says, from the Cosmic Legends of Podcasting. This is a super fun podcast. Host Rob Kelly does an excellent job of guiding you through the classic Super Friends comic. Each episode features a great guest co-host. Rob and his guests provide awesome insights and perspectives into the featured issue, an awesome addition to the Fire and Water Network's already impressive roster of podcasts. Thank you so much, Patrick. That is just a great review, and I really do appreciate it. And as I say every month, um, particularly with For All Mankind, uh, there are a lot of other shows out there with this title, unfortunately. And so this show kind of gets, if you do a search for it on uh, Apple Podcasts, it's kind of buried back. Uh, further along the, the row of podcasts with this title. So iTunes reviews uh, in particular really helped this show get noticed. So I very, very much appreciate it. So thank you, Patrick. So, okay, let's get to the comments from the website. As I said, it's from fireandwaterpodcast.com, and this is for issue seven of the series. Uh, first up is Gold Dragon 71 who says, Now that the Wonder Twins are taking over, will the opening music turn over to the new Super Friends Hour opening? I was always more of a Marvin and Wendy fan, but I'll admit I was happy to see the Wonder Twins readmitted into the DCU continuity in extreme justice. Ducks, rotten vegetables. Seriously, though, I like the fact that Jane assumes alien animal forms to start before she really gets a feel for Earth animals. I wish they'd shown her doing more alien animals on the cartoons, as it would have been a cooler aspect of her power. Uh, yeah, I agree with that, uh, Gold Dragon. That is a nice little uh, detail. I have not seen that issue of Extreme Justice, <laughs> because it's Extreme Justice. Uh, but yeah, I'm perfectly fine with the Wonder Twins being part of the, the larger DCU, and I know they have their own miniseries now or whatever, so that's cool. Uh, regarding the theme, yeah, I probably should change it, but I'm not going to, just because I just love that original Super Friends theme so much. Bum, 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 bum. I just, uh, I, I'm just so in love with it that I don't want to take it off the show, so it's probably going to stick around all the way through the end. Next up is Sean Myers. He says, another great episode. Welcome to the podcast proper, Chris. Uh, these three issues are my very favorite story arc and super friends for all the reasons you mentioned on the show. It really does feel like a JLA-JSA team-up. The inclusion of the International Heroes was fantastic, and at the time, I didn't realize that this was their first appearance. I thought that they were all heroes who had been around just as long as the super friends themselves. Every time I read a story that features Interlac in it, I always think of Esperanto and lament the fact that it never really seemed to catch on. I think it's just such a terrific idea. Uh, for those of you, let me break in here for a moment. For those of you who don't know, Esperanto was an attempt to have a universal language that everyone would speak. I think it was uh, in the the idea was first brought up like in the 60s and in the 70s, and they tried to get everybody to, to learn it, and it just sort of died on the vine. And there is even a movie, if you can believe it, uh, starring William Shatner, I'm not making this up, that is in Esperanto. The entire movie is in Esperanto. It's a horror movie. I've seen it. I saw it a long time ago, but it, it's out there. Maybe that's something worth covering on the Film & Water podcast sometime. Anyway, back to Sean's comments. He says, I'd love to hear you speak to Ramona Frayden, if only uh, so that she gets to know that so many people love her work in this book and are still talking about it and admiring it more than 40 years later. 
as far as Godiva's power set. I think it's cool and no more goofier than either Plastic Man or Elongated Man, but I will tell you, it really bothers me that she's able to make a bit of her hair transparent? Question mark. That just seems to be one of her powers to make it easier to tell this story. I guess it's funny um, what we will and won't accept as believable when it comes to the superpower skill set someone has. The Super Friends coloring book is one of those lost holy grails that I don't think I'll ever get to own, but it's great to see the pages online, of course, to hear you guys talk about it. Thank you very much, Ron. Regarding Ramona Frayden, uh, we'll, there'll be some follow-up to that later on in this feedback section. Uh, and yes, I would love to talk to Ramona Frayden. I mean, I don't... Uh, she's she's in her 90s now, and I'm sure she's very busy doing sketches. In fact, there was a sketch that just came out in between uh, episodes 7 and 8 of the show, a drawing she did of uh, Wonder Woman admonishing the current president of the United States, which everyone really seemed to enjoy. Um, so yeah, she's still out there doing it, And but but yeah, I would love to speak to her if I ever had that, that opportunity. Uh, Martin Gray uh, from the Too Dangerous for a Girl blog says, uh, thanks to you and Chris for another top episode. For all, merch kind is always especially fun, apart from the fact it makes every Britisher listening feel they've had a deprived childhood because we couldn't get any of this stuff. Sorry, Martin. Uh, given how rotten Dick Grayson was to Aquaman last time, he probably tied stinging jellyfish to the cushion before giving Robin his jelly satellite seat. I love that this like I love that this likely was Anna Jane's first appearance anywhere. Thanks for putting it out. The big legacy of this particular issue, though, is the introduction of characters who would become part of the Global Guardians. It's still incredible to me that DC have never so much as given this world-beating team their own miniseries. I suppose the closest we've got was to that primal force. Ugh. Despite uh, talking like Betty Davis in Of Human Bondage, Godiva is a great favorite of mine. She's just so silly. Mine, she was pretty awesome in the underrated Justice League International series by Dan Jerkins. And I adore the original album and design. She's so cute. I want a plush version. Rob, I wonder if reaching out to Ramona might actually help wipe away any bad Super Friends memories. Let her know how much many of us loved her work there. Just the thought. Aha, just reading the comments. Sean is thinking the same thing. Yes, he is. Again, I, yes, I would love to speak to Ramona. I have interviewed her for long ago for the Aquamatron, and I've met her a couple of times. And uh, But, yeah, obviously doing an interview for her at the show would be uh, fantastic. So, you know, maybe that's something we can put together uh, in the future. Edo Boznar says, interesting. I didn't know the international heroes related to the Global Guardians had appeared this early. I think I first saw them in a later issue. In the 20s, it was the one where the Super Friends turned bad for some reason, so the Global Guardians fought them. Otherwise, I show Rob's view about Godiva. She does seem a bit silly, but why is Medusa from the Inhumans so cool then? And yeah, Seraph should have definitely gotten a who's who entry. For the record, on the subject of Native American superheroes, Marvel had two that preceded Owlwoman. Red Wolf, who first appeared in the Avengers in 1970, and they even had his own brief series. And then the X-Men Thunderbird, who first appeared in 1975. American Eagle first appeared in 1981. If you count Man of Bats, though, DC had a Native American costume here in the 1950s. Also, for the records, she and Yarnell were indeed rather creepy mimes. And then, of course, Chris Franken from that episode and this episode chimes in. He says, I didn't hear Rob say Thunderbird when we were recording, but I can't believe I forgot him and went instead to American Eagle. Maybe it's all the money I spent on kids' clothes at that store, or maybe it's my exposure to him in Ohatmu, which left an impression. The thing I remember most about Shields and Yarnell was the Wonder Woman appearance. Yarnell played a woman who could control ants, as I recall, making her one of few of the super villains on that show. I also recall the rather catty comments made by Shields in Back Issue magazine regarding their time on that episode. He claimed Linda Carter was jealous of Yarnell for her figure. I'm not buying it. Yeah, that doesn't – I'm unfamiliar with those comments, but that doesn't make any sense. Why would Linda Carter be jealous of anyone's figure? 
<laughs> that just makes no sense at all. Uh, Brian Linton says, I was initially upset to see the Wonder Twins pushing Marvin and Wendy out of the way on the cover. Then I realized that I was bringing my Terran bias to their actions. For all I know, shoving is considered polite, polite behavior on XOR. I also like that the story gives us the transition from Marvin to Wendy to Xana Jaina that we never got in the cartoon show. So I'm curious to see how this plays out. Thanks for another remarkable episode. The more I see of the series, the more I regret missing it when it first came out. I'm looking forward to the rest of the story and learning more about the nascent Global Guardians. Thank you, Brian. David Escutierrez says, How did these comics align with the tone in the animated series? They seem to be more sophisticated. Also, is there a Rima appearance? And then uh, Captain Entropy answered that. He says, uh, Dag, they're definitely more sophisticated than the cartoon, much to the reader's benefit. I don't think Rima appeared, I assume, due to copyright issues. Yeah, I, I mean, that makes sense, Captain Entropy. I have no idea one way or the other. But, yes, Rima does not appear in the Super Friends comic at all, which is uh, too bad. Uh, I think she only ever appeared in her own series in the 70s and never made another appearance in a DC comic, which is too bad because it's, it's a cool character with a cool visual, and I liked her in the cartoon. It would have been neat to see her uh, show up here. Cellar Dweller says, thanks for bringing us another great podcast about the Super Friends. As a kid, I always felt that you could see the five main heroes pretty much everywhere, but only on Saturday mornings could you see Black Vulcan, Samurai, Apache Chief, Rima, El Dorado added later, and the Wonder Twins. So I was glad to see Zan and Jaina and the International Heroes added to this run. The International Heroes weren't exactly the same as the HB-created heroes, but original enough to pique my interest. I also really enjoyed the detail the comic series went on with Wendy and Marvin leaving and Zane and Jaina appearing. They also addressed the matter of the twins not knowing Earth life and not knowing English. Looking forward to the next podcast. Thank you, Cellar Dweller. Uh, Chuck Coletta, who just recently appeared on an episode of my Treasury Cast, so, says, uh, FYI, I just picked up the great hardcover Super Friends comics collection, and it has a nice introduction from Ramona Frayden, where she comments on her relationship with Ian B and her fondness for the series. That's great. I haven't picked that book up yet, but that's good to know that uh, they got a they got Ramona to do it, and that uh, she has some. You know, she obviously now forty years or forty years on, she sees how beloved the series is. So that's great. I'm glad to. I'm glad to hear that. Everyone should pick that hardcover collection up. It's pretty pricey, uh, but uh, you know it's a giant tome of Super Friends comics, and you can't uh, you can't beat that stuff. Little Russell Burbage says, "I remember reading and rereading this issue so many times. I really liked Owl Woman and Impala. I thought Seraph was cool. I did think Godiva was silly though." I had read about Grax in the Earth Shattering Disasters reprint, DC Special. Yes, I believe so, Russell. From about a year before this. I kind of thought that Ian B. reprinted that story to use Grax here, or saw him there and decided to use him here. Causative in some way, in my opinion. And I had that Superman's coloring book as a kid. I colored all the pages and threw it away. I bought a new unused copy as an adult, haha, a few years ago. Uh, maybe I need to take the time to scan in all the uncolored pages for everyone's enjoyment. Russell, sounds like a good idea. And then finally, Liz Ann Oswald uh, says, Owl Woman and the Hawks was cool. Did Owl Woman ever appear in the main DCU? That's a good question, Lizanne, and I actually looked it up. According to Mike's Amazing World, Owl Woman only has one other appearance in the DCU, and that's in Crisis on Infinite Earths number 12. Now, I don't have access to that comic right now, and I don't have it in front of me, so I don't know if that's true. I mean, Lord knows, George Perez worked in a billion characters in that series. So it's possible that Owl Woman like, is in the background somewhere. So if any of you out there have Crisis number 12 handy and you want to dig it out, and if you can find Owl Woman, let me know. I would love to know if Owl Woman actually does appear uh, in the Crisis. So that would be interesting to, to find out. Thanks for the question, Lizanne. So uh, that is going to do it for this episode of For All Mankind. Once again, 
Big thanks to Chris Franklin for coming back on the show and doing part two of this story. He'll be back next month for part three, the concluding chapter of this very exciting uh, Super Friends Justice League Global Guardians adventure. Of course, we're always talking Super Friends comics over on Twitter at For All Mankind SF. You can find all the back episodes of the show on the website, findwaterpodcast.com, and you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. And then finally, if you want to support the Fine Water Podcast Network, you can go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast, and there you can unlock various rewards, one of which is to be name-checked on a show of your choice. So I want to announce we have our first ever For All Mankind Patreon. Big, big thanks to Chuck Dill for his support of For All Mankind, a Super Friends podcast. Really appreciate the support, Chuck. Uh, it's great that you support the Fire and Water Podcast Network at all, and then specifically this show. That is just super exciting, so thanks so much for that. Of course, if you want to go and support the Fire and Water Podcast Network, just go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast. So that's going to do it for this episode. Big thanks again to Chris Franklin. We'll see him next month, plus another special guest. So uh, that's going to do it for now. Thanks for listening to For All Mankind. Join us next episode when we look at Super Friends number nine, Three Ways to Kill a World. NFW-TV Podcast.